0: Well, if you have a Bible with you this evening, please turn with me to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 28. And I want to draw your attention to just one verse in Proverbs chapter 28, and that verse is verse 13. Proverbs 28, and verse 13, Solomon says this, he... That covereth his sins shall not prosper. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. And my title tonight is Sin Covered or Sin Confessed. This morning we were considering the sinlessness of Christ, weren't we? That the Lord Jesus Christ is holy. Harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. And we, as we were thinking of that this morning, we touched on the very sad and solemn truth that the Bible makes it clear to us over and over again that all of us are sinners. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Paul writes, doesn't he, in Romans 3.23. Solomon, who wrote most of the Proverbs in this In this book, in Ecclesiastes, he says that there is no man that doeth good and sinneth not. And this is the honest truth. We read only a few moments ago those words in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8, where the apostle writes, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And so, every one of us here tonight, from the youngest to the oldest, is a sinner by nature and is a sinner by practice. And sin is our great problem. Our sin condemns us. Our sin is what separates us from a holy God, as we were even thinking this morning. But I want to ask you a question tonight. And my question, very simply, is this What are you doing with your sin? What are you doing? With your sin? What is your solution? What is your remedy for the sin that you have accumulated year after year in your life? Because everybody in this world does something with their sin. And in our verse tonight, here in Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 13, Solomon presents to us two people, two people who are both sinners, who are both guilty, but these two people take very different approaches to their sin. They both do very different things. They pursue different courses of action. They try, as it were, different solutions to this greatest of problems. And Solomon, in, in a sense, like a good scientist, he then details for us in this verse the results of these two different solutions. And we read there that one man covers his sin and he doesn't prosper, whilst the other confesses his sin and forsakes his sin and finds mercy and what i would like us to do this evening is to look at these two different people the man who covers his sin and the man who confesses his sin and with each of them we're going to consider the course that they pursue and then we'll look at the consequences that follow and as we do so i want us to ask ourselves tonight which best describes me which best describes you tonight who are you like are you like the man covering his sin, or are you like the man who confesses his sin? So turn with me then to this verse here in Proverbs 28 and verse 13. Let's consider firstly this man who covers his sin. And we want to look then firstly at his, the course that he pursues. Because Solomon writes this, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. This first man that that Solomon brings to our attention here pursues a course of trying to conceal his sins. The word that we have translated there as covereth, it has this idea of hiding something. Sometimes the word is translated in scripture as a cloak, and a cloak is what we use to cover ourselves, to cover our nakedness. And the man who covers his sin, who cloaks his sin, is seeking to cover it up. To hide it from view so nobody else can see it. He doesn't want it to be seen by others. He doesn't want his sin exposed. And so he tries to obscure it and hide it and camouflage it. And this is, I think, something that all of us in this room know something about. Even the young people here, even the, the young children here, know something of what it is to try and hide sin Perhaps the boys and girls here this evening, you've maybe done something like this, maybe even this past week, and you've tried to cover up, perhaps from your parents, or perhaps from your teacher at school, and you've tried to cover up your sin so that other people can't see it. But the truth is that it doesn't stop when when you're a child, it doesn't stop when you become an adult. Everyone tries to hide their sin. Parents try and hide their sins from their children, employees from their employers. We try and hide our sins from our neighbours who live next door. We try and even hide our sins from those who we go to church with. Much of our lives is spent trying to conceal and hide our sins. And there's lots of different ways that people do this in their lives. Let me give you a few examples this evening. Some people, for example, try and cover sin through lies, This is what Cain did, you remember Cain in the Old Testament, he lied to God, he had murdered his brother Abel and the Lord comes to him in Genesis 4 and God asks him, you know, where where is Abel thy brother? And he says, I I know not, I don't know where he is. He says, am I my brother's keeper? And he lies into the very face of God, trying to conceal and, and hide his sin remember Joseph's brothers, again in Genesis, how they lied to their father. They've gone and taken their brother and they've sold him as a a slave into Egypt. And they lied to, to conceal their sin. Or you can think of in the New Testament, Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts. We're told they lied to the Holy Spirit. They thought they could conceal their sin with their lies. Another way that people cover their sins is with Excuses. You know, it wasn't my fault, people will say. I couldn't help it. It was my, my circumstances or my upbringing or, or the environment that I live in. You know, others influenced me and swayed me and changed me. And, they, and we hear this all the time. People say, well, it's just my character. I, I couldn't help that sin because it's just who I am. It's what I'm, what I'm like. I've got this, this flaw and you're just going to have to put up with it. Others excuse their sin by pointing to the culture that we live in well everyone else was doing it they say you get this don't you particularly with people who are caught speeding you know well why didn't you catch so and so who was up tailgating me for the last five miles up the m1 why didn't you pull them over it wasn't my fault they were going much faster than i was and uh, you know the, the police hear this all the time don't they well you should have been catching real criminals i got two brothers who are in the police force and they said, you hear this excuse all the time. Why aren't you catching the real people who are causing the problem? Not me. Excuses. Others like to blame perhaps trauma in their lives for why they sin. It's something in the past that's affected me now. I knew someone who was like this they sadly destroyed their family through sin but they tried to blame and excuse all their actions on a teacher who they said bullied them when they were at school 20 30 years later the sin that they committed was the teacher's fault not mine and so we make excuses in scripture we see Aaron doing this you remember Aaron Moses up on the mountain he's within the presence of the Lord and Aaron, he makes that golden calf and Moses comes down from the mountain and he sees the people dancing and he hears the noise. He sees them in all their nakedness and their sinning. And he comes and Aaron says, basically, it wasn't my fault, it was theirs. He says to them, Moses, you know what these people are like? You know, you know how stubborn they are? You know how sinful they are? It wasn't me. He said they got their hearts set on mischief, so I just, I just went with it. Let me just say this to the young people here tonight. I wonder if you ever do this. It wasn't my fault. It was so and so. They made me do it. And we try and cover our sins. Perhaps we do that with our brother or sister. You know, your parents are telling you off, and you say, Well, it wasn't my fault. It was my sister. It was my brother. It was their fault. They made me do it. We make excuses, don't we? This is what Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden, wasn't it? Right back in Genesis chapter 3, the Lord called to Adam and he questions Adam. And how does Adam respond? He says, the woman thou gavest me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. You can can hear it in his voice, can't you, as he says those words. It was her God, not me. Blame Eve. His excuse, I think, even goes further than that because he brings God into it. He lays the blame at the door of God. He says, it's the woman you gave me, God. If you hadn't have given me Eve, I wouldn't have sinned. And friends, tonight, let me just say that's a very dangerous thing to do, to lay the blame at the door of God. Some people do this. God, it's your fault. And friends, God is pure and holy, as we saw this morning. Your sin is your sin. You can't can't blame God for the things that you've done. But we can think of another way that people try and cover their sins, and that's by redefining sin and remoulding sin. Society particularly loves to do this, doesn't it? It loves to change sin. What was perhaps socially unacceptable in years gone by, now it's viewed very differently. People will say, well, that was then, but this is now. You know, we've moved on, we're intellectually more advanced. These things are all okay. You know, the standard that God set, well, that's a bit harsh, really. And so we, we lower the standard in order to appease our consciences, to quell them. And one way that people do this, isn't it, is to change the names of sins. Let's make the sin seem a little bit more palatable, make it seem a little bit more enjoyable. We, we, we hear people speaking of half-truths, don't they, when what they really mean is a lie. They talk about people who do long term borrowing, and what they really mean is they've just stolen it. People are just a little bit light fingered, when really we're saying they're a thief. We talk about abortion, don't we, when really we mean murder. And we could just go on listing sin after sin that people have redefined and changed. And it's all done so that it sort of takes away the guilt. If we can redefine it, people don't think about it in the same way, and so it can appease their conscience. I was reading something recently about a lady who had aborted a child and it was just called wise family planning. You see, they're not labelling sin as it really is, as what the Lord calls it. And again, we could just go on giving examples of how people have redefined sin and twisted words to make sin seem more palatable. This was exactly what was happening in the days of Isaiah, wasn't it? People called evil good and good evil. Sin is shaped and moulded by the whims and the wishes of our culture. And we can get caught up in our culture and we can do the same. Another tactic that people use to cover their sin is just to commit the sin out of sight, isn't it? There's another way that people try and cover and conceal their sin. You know, if I do the sin where no one can see it, and perhaps if I try and destroy the evidence afterwards, then no one will know. So we delete our internet browsing history, or you have another bank account, or you have another phone so that your husband or wife doesn't know that you've perhaps got an online gambling addiction. Or you have a, an illicit relationship that remains concealed. I heard recently of a couple whose daughter was getting married. And the father had set a certain budget for this wedding, as fathers do. But the mother wasn't too happy with this budget that was set and she wanted to spend a little bit more on her daughter. And so she was going out every day to the hole in the wall and she was drawing out 20 pounds here then the next day she might get into 30 pounds out and the next day 10 pounds because she knew that her husband wouldn't keep tabs on all the cash that was coming out of the accounts she was trying to conceal her sin from her husband trying to cover her tracks and celebrities do this today I don't know super injunctions Forbidding papers and the media to publish and expose their sins. And that's why so much sin happens at night, isn't it? That's why people take, do their sin under the cover of darkness. That's why nightclubs open at night. So that, that people can't see everything that's going on. Don't want other people to, to see the wickedness. Jesus said, didn't he, that men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And Achan thought like this, didn't he? You remember Achan in the Old Testament, in the book of Joshua, and how they were told not to take uh, from that city of Jericho. And he saw that clothing, he saw that gold, he saw that silver. He coveted it in his heart, and so he took it. And you remember, he thought, well, I'll run back to my tent because no one can see inside my tent. And he thought, no, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll, I'll dig a hole and bury it, and so definitely no one can find it. He tried, didn't he, to conceal his sin. We could add some more ways that people try and cover their sin. Let me just give you a couple more quickly. One other method is we cover our sin with good works. This is a method I think we particularly see employed by older people. If I can live an outwardly moral and good life, it will act as a veneer you know, for what's really happening in my heart. Acts of kindness, you know, a sanctified life, a good lifestyle, clean appearance, join the local WI, you know, help out in the community, even go to church. We want to portray ourselves in a particular way to cover up what's really happening. Now, I said this was predominantly in older people, but we see this across the whole world, particularly on social media, don't we? If I can project myself in a certain way on Twitter, present a certain image on, on Instagram to all those who follow me, hopefully it will mask the truth that my life is a mess covering our sin, masking our faults, seeking at all costs to seem upright and good. Let me give you just one last way that people try and cover their sin, and that's by ignoring sin and drowning it out. Many do this by filling their lives with pleasures, hobbies, indulgences, sensuality and revelry and worldliness take over someone's life in an attempt to forget about sin. I think this is certainly very prevalent today. Drown out our consciences, you know, live our lives as we please, try and do everything possible to forget about our sin and our hearts. Let me just pause here tonight before we move on. Does this describe you? Are you someone who is covering your sin? And the reason why I asked that question is because Solomon, having mentioned this course that these, these people pursue, he then points out the consequences that follow. And you notice what he says there. He says, he that covereth his sins shall not prosper. He says he's, he's not going to succeed. The man or woman who pursues this course is never ultimately going to win. It's worth saying here that Solomon is not talking about this world and, and this life, but he's speaking about the world to come. There's plenty of people who live lives of sin and wickedness, and they cover it up and they conceal it from man for all of their lives. And they seem to get away with it. But you see, Solomon here is talking predominantly about spiritual prosperity. He's talking about that world to come, and he says, The man or woman who pursues this course will never prosper. And the reason is because God is an all-knowing God. He's an all-seeing God. You just go back in Proverbs, for example, to Proverbs chapter 15 with me. Listen to these words in Proverbs chapter 15 and verse three. Proverbs 15, verse three, "The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the goods." You stay in that same chapter, look at verse 11. It says, hell and destruction are before the Lord. How much more than the hearts of the children of men. And you see what Solomon's saying to us here? God sees everything. While you may be able to hide, friend, your sin from your friends, and you may conceal it from your husband or your wife, you can never hide your sin from God. God sees it all. Remember David in Psalm 139. Wherever he went, he says, the Lord was there. He sees me. He says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. He knew what it was to see the all-piercing gaze of almighty God. And you think of some of the examples that we just mentioned a few moments ago. Adam sinned. He tried to sow fig leaves and hide from the Lord, but the Lord found him. Cain thought he could hide The murder of his brother, but you remember how his brother's blood cried unto the Lord. Achan concealed his sin and yet it was discovered. Remember that wonderful passage how the Lord brings it down by the tribe and then to the family and then ultimately to Achan. Achan, as it were, you are the man. Ananias and Sapphira, they were discovered David, when he sinned with Bathsheba, you remember how Nathan came along and he tells that parable, and David there he is, he gets angry, he gets worked up, and Nathan has to turn to him and say, I'm talking about you. The Lord's exposed you, the Lord's seen the sin of your hearts. And so Solomon says here, He that covereth his sin shall not prosper. In Jeremiah 17, verse 10, God says this, I, the Lord, search the heart. And because the Lord is just, because he's holy, because he's righteous, he will not leave sin unpunished. That's why Paul says, doesn't he, that the wages of sin is death. Paul says exactly the same as Solomon here. Just different words. Cover your sin, conceal your iniquities, hide your transgressions. All of it leads ultimately to eternal death, to no prospering and so friends this evening I have to warn you that's my, my job this evening is to warn you if this is a description of you if you are covering your sin then let me tell you it only leads to eternal destruction covering your sin it's folly and it's fraught with misery but the wonderful thing is that Solomon doesn't leave the text there because then he mentions this second man. And this second man, there's a, a completely different, it's a contrast to the first man. So let's move on this evening to look at the man who confesses his sin. Because he says this He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. And this man takes a very different approach. He takes a very different tact. The course that he pursues is very striking in its contrast. Instead of trying to cover his sins, he confesses them. Instead of trying to conceal and hide his sins, he reveals his sins. That's what confession is. The word means to acknowledge. It has this sense of acknowledging our rebellion and our sin against God's. We, we come, as it were, to God and we make, as it were, our sin known to him. And we uncover it. Let me just say that confession is always to God because it's God that we've sinned against. It's not confession to our fellow man. Plenty of people do that. It should be confession to God. And it always carries with it a sense of sorrow. There's a sadness at the thought of our sin there should be a heartache when we admit that we're wrong and the wrong that we've caused you see this in peter for example you remember how peter had sinned how he denied the lord jesus christ and the cock crowed and he realized what he had done he realized his sin and he gets up and he leaves with sorrow in his heart he's weeping that's true repentance that's true confession of sin it comes with a sorrow We read that wonderful psalm earlier on, Psalm 32 of David, and those wonderful words there. It's that penitential prayer, as we said, that coming to God. And in verse 5, he says, I acknowledged my sin unto thee, in verse 5. And mine iniquity have I not hid. Do you see, there was David, he says, I'm not going to hide my sin. I'm not going to cover my sin. I'm going to reveal it. And so he says, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. David comes and he confesses his sin. But back here in our text in Proverbs 28, Solomon goes on to say, not only does this man admit and confesses his sin, but then he seeks to forsake his sin. He seeks, as it were, at all costs to turn his back on his sin and, and abandon his sin. And you see, true confession of sin will always lead to a true desire to forsake sin. You see, the two almost always must go hand in hand with each other. You see, there are people who will confess their sins but never forsake it. Solomon tells us that such people are like a dog returning to its vomit. And he says, so a fool returneth to his folly. I worked for a man once who was like this. He had grievously sinned. And he'd been unfaithful to his wife, and one day it came to a, a head on his doorstep. And to put it mildly, there was fireworks, we could say. And he'd been caught, he'd been found out. And the man confessed everything. In actual fact, he, he, they went to marriage counselling him and his wife, and, he, and he, he just poured forth all his sins, all the things that he had done in his life. But the thing was that he was, while he, while he had this confession and, and, and he had this, this pouring out of all his sins, there was no forsaking of them. He was, just, he was just upset that he'd been caught. And sadly that man, like a dog returning to his vomit, returned to his ways. Oh, there was confession but there was no forsaking And you see others try and do the other other side. They try and forsake their sins without confessing their sins. And this often makes them worse than before. The Lord Jesus Christ spoke of this. He spoke of an unclean spirit going out of a man. And then the unclean spirit returns and it finds the place empty. It finds it swept and garnished. And the unclean spirit takes seven more spirits. And it says that the state of that man was worse than before. You see, confession and forsaking must go hand in hand. And the wonderful thing is that Solomon then gives us the consequences that follow for the person who does this. For the person who confesses and forsakes their sin, he says, they shall have mercy. You see, when God hears a hearty and a sincere acknowledgement of sin and is joined with this wanting to abandon and forsake our sin, he comes and he dispenses mercy. Mercy. You see, instead of wrath, instead of judgment, there's mercy and grace. Instead of this everlasting punishment, there's pardon, there's forgiveness. Going back to that psalm we read earlier, Psalm 32, this is what David found, wasn't it? He found exactly that in that, in that verse we just read. In verse 5, he says, I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. And then he says, and thou forgavest my in the iniquity of my sin there was forgiveness and you see friends here is the pattern that we must follow the first man covered his sin and it ended in disaster and misery but we're told that if we confess our sins the promise of mercy and forgiveness is there that's why we read those wonderful words in 1 John chapter 1 remember what John the apostle writes there And he says this, doesn't he? If we confess our sin, in verse 9, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Look, if there's confession and there's forsaking, God's faithful, God is just, he will forgive. It's a promise. And he says, I will cleanse you from all your sin, forgive you from all your sin. Perhaps tonight, if you're still a sinner, you ask, "How can this be? How can God forgive me for all my sin?" Perhaps you've been covering your sin all your life, you've made endless excuses, perhaps you've told lies. perhaps you've sought to drown out your sin with the things of this world, whatever it may be. And you know in your heart that you're guilty. You know God is, is holy, and so you say, "How is it possible?" Now what does John say in that chapter? What does he tell us? How is it possible? Well, he says this, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. It's through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the answer, friends, tonight for the problem of your sin. When you come and you confess your sin and you seek at all cost to forsake your sin, then your sin is laid to the account of Jesus Christ. And it was on the cross, the cross that we've been singing about, the cross that we say, oh, teach me what it means. It's there that Christ paid the price for your sin. And he took your punishment so that you may now know God's mercy and his wonderful forgiveness. And you know, friends, tonight, here's the, here's the really interesting thing. When you do that... When you come and you confess your sin and you forsake your sin, it's then at that moment that your sin is actually covered. It's then that your sin gets hidden and it's concealed. You see, all your life you've been trying to hide your sin and cover your sin, but it's actually when you uncover your sin that your sin is then covered. And what's it covered by? Well, it's covered by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why David said in that psalm, Psalm 32, you notice what he said at the very beginning. Wonderful words that David uses there. He said, blessed is, the ma- blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile do you see what david's saying here look to have our sins covered we must first uncover them and confess them so friends as i close tonight let me ask you this is this true of you are your sins covered are they covered not by your own works not by your own lies not by your own excuses but are they covered by the blood of the lord jesus christ Friends, tonight, if that's not true of you, and follow this pattern. Come to God, even now, even in the quietness of your hearts. Confess your sin. Seek to forsake your sin, because it's then that you'll find mercy and you'll find forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ. Solomon says here, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but he But whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy.